Warning, binge mode contains adult content. So if adult content you not want to see, please listen to one of our other podcasts you will. And now, binge mode. Let the past die. And welcome to Binge Mode. I'm Mallory Rubin, deputy editor yes. of TheRinger.com. What a great website. What a website. It's very good. Joining me today, now that he's finished holding for General Hux. General Hux, please. <laughs> it's Ringer staff writer, your Jedi master. Wow. Jason Concepcion. Yes. Jason, you have an urgent message from General Leia Organa. Patch her through. I'm waiting for this. Wait right here. Okay. Because that urgent message is why we are here on the Ringer Podcast Network. That's right. We're here to talk about Episode 8, Star Wars, The Last Jedi. But before then, a quick reminder, every Thursday on Binge Mode Weekly, we will be diving deep into the topic that's obsessing. deep. Deep. (laughs) Obsessing us at the moment. And... In spring 2018, we'll be delivering bum, 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 binge mode Harry Potter. Yes. You'll be able to find both weekly and Harry Potter on the same feed. So stay subscribed on iTunes, Stitcher, Spotify, or wherever you get your podcast. And please, 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 please follow us on Twitter at binge underscore mode. <laughs> That's binge underscore mode, a.k.a. the underscore. The underscore. We hear the Wi-Fi is great on Canto Bite. Crisp. Yeah, very fast, clean, quick. 5G, all that stuff. Whatever that means. On today's Binge Mode Weekly, we're climbing aboard our fathers yeah. to explore all things Last Jedi. Yes. And we're not the only ones. The Ringer has heard Leia's call. That's right. And it's her personal code, so it is incumbent on all of us to answer, guys. Yes. We're joining the resistance. Earlier this week, Sean Fennessy, our editor-in-chief, interviewed Last Jedi filmmaker Ryan Johnson on the Big Picture Podcast on great Channel 33. Interview. Truly great. Everyone listened to that. And... Our dear friends, Chris Ryan and Andy Greenwald. The best! Sixers fans. Both Sixers fans. Having a great life right now. They went all in on Last Jedi on Monday's episode of The Watch. So please give both of those podcasts a listen and just check out everything that The Ringer has been doing because there is just a ton of Last Jedi coverage on all Ringer platforms right now. So, you know. Give it a listen. Give it a read. Let's do give it. it a watch. Requisite spoiler warning for today's binge, as always, we will be going deep. That's right. It's a deep dive. So deep. On details from Last Jedi and, to some extent, all of the previous Star Wars films. Yeah. So hand over your ring. Say farewell to Broom Boy. Broom Boy. Because it's time to dive deep into Star Wars The Last Jedi. Jason? Yeah! I've dealt with. Plenty of trigger-happy flyboys like you. Listen. So stick to your post and follow my orders. Yes, ma'am. Before you ask permission to blow something up again, let's offer up a brief refresher on what actually happened in Star Wars The Last Jedi, because this movie is is pretty plot-heavy. Very plot. Let's take a quick trip down our own King's Road, or in this case, through Snoke's supremacy before it splits. In orbit above the rebel base with the First Order Ascendant, the weakened rebels are forced to evacuate their base. But... First Order ships appear 
right as the evacuation is taking place. The rebels manage to escape to hyperspace, but the respite is short-lived. The First Order can track them now through hyperspace. On the run! Through space. First Order attack takes out the rebel high command, including our dude, Admiral Akbar. Bells for Admiral Akbar! Bells for Admiral Akbar! It is a trap, Admiral. <laughs> Unfortunately, it is a trap. Leia? Yes. Using the Force. Love it. Survives, but barely. And so Vice Admiral Holdo That's right. takes charge. Apparently, she's on leave from Big Little Lies. <laughs> That's right. She's in space now. She's left Northern California for space. Finn and Rose head to Canto Bight in search of a hacker who will be able to get them on board Snoke's ship. Some great stuff from our dude BB-8 in this whole sequence. BB-8 is a star. Great movie for BB-8. And on Canto Bight, a.k.a. Space Monaco, Finn and Rose get thrown in jail. There they meet DJ, a different hacker and thief than the one they were trying to find. He and BB-8, it Shots must be said, BB. help them escape. They board Snoke's ship. On Octu, which we think is correct. We think. We think. It could be Octo. <laughs> Listen, we're going to go with Octu. Ray presents Luke with his old lightsaber. The lapsed Jedi tosses the weapon over his shoulder and ambles off. He eventually agrees to train her. We see many porgs. So many porgs. We love porgs. Love porgs. Using a version of FaceTime that must be exclusive to the new iPhone X, Ray and Kylo Ren's minds are linked by the Force. Later, Yoda appears to Luke and he urges Skywalker to let go of the past. Seemed like a fire hazard, that conversation. (laughs) Gotta say. It was. On Snoke's ship. Fancy ride, huge rims. The supremacy. DJ betrays Finn and Rose. Yes. But mostly this whole sequence is really about Kylo and Rey. Yes. Because of their force time sessions, Rey is convinced, utterly convinced, that she can turn Kylo to the light side. So convinced that she decides to go there to find him. She boards the supremacy. Kylo brings her to Snoke. Ah, but... He's not really interested in listening to his master anymore, is he? Kylo kills Snoke. No bells for Snoke. No bells for Snoke. Fuck that guy. He gets cut in half. Pretty shocking for a Star Wars movie, by the way, to see that. Good stuff. Yeah. Kylo and Rey fight together. Yes. Against the guards in a a beautiful scene, a stunning scene. And then they basically both ask the other, come with me. Kylo tells Rey that, hey, your parents, that thing we're all wondering about? Right. They're nobodies. Get over it. Join me. She refuses, despite him using her parents' emotional leverage. Kylo also refuses her overture and turns, perhaps forever, I don't know, we'll talk about that more later, I think not, to the dark side. In another absolutely stunning cinematic moment, Holdo sacrifices herself to destroy Snoke's ship. Please go to the ringer and read Ben Lindbergh's article on how this maneuver, while thrilling for audiences, (laughs) basically breaks 40 years of Star Wars logic. Heavy nerd alert. Burn the past. Kill it. Heavy nerd alert. Finn and Rose, ultimately with a huge assist from BB-8, escape the destruction aboard, and Finn gets rid of that pesky Phasma. Again, no No bells. bells. No No bells bells for Phasma. Phasma? You need to do a little more to earn bells here on Binge Mode. Brienne, you disappointed us a little bit. On Crate, the salt planet, Luke sends a projection of himself across the galaxy from Octu to Crate to fight Kylo and buy the Rebels time to escape, but the effort kills him. 
and he becomes one with the Force. Bells for Luke Skywalker! For Luke Skywalker. The Rebels, now numbering but a handful. Seriously, there's like 15 people in the Rebellion vow to fight on. And on Canto Bite! Tales of the Battle of Creative spread across the galaxy, inspiring a new generation to the cause of rebellion. Broom Boy! Broom Boy! Welcome. Mal? Yeah? The galaxy might need a legend. Mm. I need someone to show me my place in all of this. I'm here for you, bud. And that gets us to this episode's big idea, so let's cut right to the core of it by sticking it and Snoke with the pointy end of the nearest lightsaber. The defining theme of this episode of Binge Mode Weekly is killing the past. This is your story now. That's the message of The Last Jedi with nearly every scene. Every line of dialogue tells its audience, specifically its younger audience, anyone who is seeing Star Wars essentially for the first time. Star Wars' past is glorious. It should be honored. But it shouldn't constrain the story moving forward. This is the message of The Last Jedi. Revere the past, but don't be beholden to it. Established characters like Luke and Leia struggle to understand where they are in this new paradigm and this new struggle. Meanwhile, Rey and Kylo Ren and Finn and Rose are carving out their own legends, taking the story in genuinely new directions. Let's start with Kylo and Rey because they are truly the heart and soul of the movie. Yeah. Both them as individual characters with their own arcs and, more crucially, the bond that they share. And Kylo helpfully puts the theme, not only of this episode of Binge Mode, but of the movie itself. Oh, yeah. Into words for us. There are two different exchanges that Kylo and Rey share where Kylo voices this need to move beyond your past, the past at large. First, during one of their force time sessions and shouts to the reporter who coined that phrase in an interview with Ryan Johnson, great stuff, (laughs) Kylo says to Rey, let the past die. Kill it if you have to. That's the only way to become what you were meant to be. And then when they are actually together physically in the same space in the throne room, sharing this battle, this moment in time, this pivot point in their lives, and they are both pleading to the other person, he echoes this sentiment. Time to let old things die. Snoke, Skywalker, the Sith, the Jedi, the Rebels, let it all die. Ray, I want you to join me. We can rule together and bring a new order to the galaxy. And of course, this is on Kylo's mind. I mean, listen to the hectoring that Snoke gives him after he returns from his battle that was the end of The Force Awakens. Tough Snoke boss. Says, yeah. Tough boss. Skywalker lives. <laughs> the seed of the Jedi Order lives. As long as it does, hope lives in the galaxy. I thought you might be the one to snuff it out. Alas, you're no Vader. You're just a child in a mask. That was terrifying. It was pretty terrifying. And that's also that great moment where he's like, take that thing off. Take that ridiculous, what are you trying to be, Vader? Is that what you're trying to do? Take it off. But of course, he's the one telling him to be Vader. Right. In the elevator later, you know, going, it pushes like level 57, whatever it is, to his penthouse suite. Destroys the Vader mask in a fit of rage. That's a perfectly symbolic moment, both of his choice and the film's choice to move past the past and also potent insight into his mindset at that moment. He used to want to be a new version of Vader, be that bridge to the past. He spent The Force Awakens talking to Vader's mask. Help me, grandfather. Literally speaking to a physical embodiment of the past. Grandfather, how do I do this? Help me do this. I want to do this. He crafted himself, literally crafted himself in Vader's image. And breaking away from that doesn't just mean shattering the past. It means shattering 
his own sense of himself. And this is really what makes the movie work. This right. is the great part of this movie. When he's saying those things to Ray, he isn't just eulogizing. He means it. He's made this choice already. But, of course, he's not strong enough to break away in every sense. And this right. he knows this. Right. The need to be strong while also realizing that he isn't is part of what drives Kylo. Right. He understands that at the pivotal moments, he's going to doubt. He, when he's attacking Leia's capital ship, he can't do it at the very end. He can't. Can't push the button. Can't push the button. And he understands that he's weak. And everything he does is almost to prove to himself that he's not weak. He killed his father, of course, but we know that tore him apart to do so. He talks about it. Snoke mentions it. Right. Ray isn't wrong when she sees the light and the conflict in Kylo. It's there and it manifests when he can't do to Leia what he did to Han. And- it's worth remembering, of course, that Han was not really Kylo's only father. Right. Of course, right. Snoke moves into this leadership, mentorship, father-like great role. Great robes Snoke has. Truly great. Beautiful. Truly great. Beautiful as we, as we said last time, Star Wars is really a movie about jackets and also robes. <laughs> yes. Luke, between Han yes. and Snoke, Luke is really the father figure in Kylo's life. So imagine that agony yeah. for Kylo, then Ben Solo. Looking up and seeing literally his uncle, yeah. so literally a member of his family, but also his master, his trusted teacher, the person who is literally shaping him and guiding him and helping him grow and discover his power and what yeah. he can be, standing above him wielding an instrument of death yeah. and more crushingly than that, carrying a look of mistrust and doubt and yeah. shame and anger on his face, yeah. looking up and seeing that, you would never recover from it. No. It would define the course of your life. So the rage that Kylo channels toward Luke in the film's climax during their duel, it's not just a reflection of the choice that Kylo made, you know, to not take Ray's hand, to not turn toward the light, yes. to stay and become supreme leader of the First Order, but it's a reflection of the driving bitterness and shame that he feels every day because of right. how he knows Luke saw him. And so in order to do the thing that he is proclaiming that he wants to do, to do the thing that he is trying yes. to convince Ray to do, to break from the past, he has to eliminate Luke. Yes. Luke is a barrier to Kylo being able to, to move on. To expunge that memory. Because it is this formidable, defining thing that's always in the rearview mirror. And Luke... And that choice in those moments that both of them made, that made Kylo who he is today. Luke says this, right? Leia, yeah. she blames Snoke, but it was me. Yeah. I did this. And he's right. Yeah, He's right. Because Snoke and what Snoke offered Kylo, and of course, one of the interesting choices that this movie makes, and we'll talk about this more later, is that we don't actually get that backstory in a full. What a great subversion of what we expect from this movie. And why does the movie make that choice? It's in part because that doesn't matter as right. much as us understanding or at least getting glimpses and hints of what passed between Luke and Kylo, because that kind of betrayal, that kind of distance, that forever gap between you and someone you thought believed in you, you can never recover from that. And Kylo basically is deciding when he kills Snoke, who, by the way, is openly taunting him, yes. not only to his face, but in front of Ray in that moment, saying, right. he can't hide his mind from right. me. I can see everything. I, I did this to you guys. I know everything he's going to do. How have you been force timing? Because right. I upgraded right. your iOS, <laughs> right? I got you guys these fancy new phones for Christmas. 
I did this. Yes. I controlled you. You're my playthings. And so Kylo making that choice, it's as much a rebuttal of Snoke believing that he has mastery and control right. over Kylo as it is of Kylo saying, I'm actually not interested in the dark side. Kylo has to eliminate all of his makers. Right. Snoke is one of them, but so is Luke. He has to be his own person. Snoke is challenging Kylo to fulfill your destiny, but that destiny is to be Vader 2.0 right. in Snoke's mind. Right. And that's no longer no. interesting to Kylo. He wants to forge his own that's destiny. That's a great point because we never see Vader as the boss. That never happens. Right. He's the thug. Yes. Always. It's one of the great, I don't want to say like fallacies in movie history, but it's always felt a little bit off to yes. me to say Vader is like, a great villain right. because he's a henchman. Yeah, he's a he's, he's a stooge. Yeah. And it's actually like meaningful progress to say this guy's gonna be in charge. Right. He's not gonna take orders from anyone. He's gonna give them to someone else. Like our boy Hux. <laughs> I'm sure that's not lost on Kylo either, such a student of Vader's life. He would understand, you know what? Vader waited his turn and then it never came. I'm going to take my turn now. That's right. I'm going to go for this now. And there's something brilliant about Luke and Ray calling Kylo Ben. It's I love such this. a it's such a flex. It's like I knew you when you weren't this. It's of course so reminiscent yes. of Harry Potter, which you can hear us talk about in the spring of 2018. Dun, dun, dun. <laughs> Dumbledore's <laughs> insistence on calling Voldemort Tom. Tommy Riddle. Tom, the auras yeah. are on their way. That's right. It's both this reminder that Dumbledore and Tom Riddle, and then in this case, Luke and Ben Solo, I knew you when. I knew you when you were not this. I knew you when you were a human being. With Ray, it's really a call to that humanity. It's an yeah. appeal to what might still be inside him should he choose to acknowledge it. Yeah. There's a lot of tenderness in the way yes. Ray comes to see Kylo because of their bond, these, these force-time connections. You can almost think of it as a certain naivete, but then if you consider what led Luke to try and turn his father back from the dark side, certainly that to anyone outside of that relationship right. would have looked absolutely naive. This right. is like one of the most evil men in the galaxy. He killed billions of people, literally billions of people, and you're going to try and turn him to right. the good? That's fucking crazy. But Ray wants to do this. And something that's interesting about the chemistry between these characters is they both act in ways that the audience might think of as a trait that pertains to the other character. During their early Force Time sessions and Shades of Legomancy and Oculomancy in Harry Potter yes. and, and what it says about you when you aren't able to close off your mind from someone else. Shades of Snape everywhere in Kylo. Everywhere. Kylo is calm and curious about what's happening. He's just fascinated by what, can you see me? Right. Can you just see my background? I can only see you. Well, what's, like you said, he's a, he's a scholar. He's a scholar of this. He's just looking constantly for, what is this? How do I exploit this also? Ray is just angry. She is furious. You're a killer. You're disgusting. You disgust me. Ren is obsessed with proving mostly to himself, as we said before, that he isn't weak. Ray, meanwhile, isn't concerned about weakness. She understands that she's strong. Right. She is worried about being too strong. That's right. She has no idea how to control this. What is this thing that's awakened in me? I can't control it. Her belief that Ren can be turned is... It does border on naivety, and, and Kylo exploits this gladly. He understands that this is what she wants, but also he feels guilty about it and strangely vulnerable about it. He understands that there is a spark of the light in himself. Well, imagine being him, and he actually says to her, I yeah. am a monster. Right. Right. You're right. I right. am a monster. 
And looking around and seeing how other people see you. Yeah. And they see you in that way in part because you've asked them to. Yeah. And she's the only one other than his parents, because yeah. of course this was part of the appeal that Han made to him, who say to him, I still see a person. Yeah. I still see that Ben Solo inside of you. And I can help you rediscover that. I love your point about Ray and Luke basically doing something that most people would consider ludicrous, right. but it actually shows a really rare and applaudable open-mindedness, which is especially notable, I think, in in light of the larger sort of meta narrative around this movie and the fandom and the myopia yeah. there about what how people should act right. and what we should expect. And we're going to talk about that more later, but there's a break there yeah. with convention that is pretty refreshing and that is one of the reasons that it not only allows us to continue to root for Kylo and to say Ray sees something in him, we should see something in him too, but also to believe in her worth as a hero. Yeah. She is able to look beyond the basic understanding and expectation and say, no, there's something else here and I can be the one to figure it out. Yeah, Ren is in a lot of ways like the most magnetic depiction of a person with crushingly low self-esteem <laughs> that I've like we've ever seen like certainly in a major movie. He failed Luke. In his mind, he failed Luke somehow. Luke tried to kill him. His master tried to kill him. His parents rejected him, he thinks, in his mind. And he's constantly doing things to almost double down on what a shitty person he is. I'm a monster. Meanwhile, there's a part of him that's like, but I don't want to be a monster. But yes, I am. Another interesting part of all this is, is the way Ray really struggles against the overarching theme of this movie. Yeah. She wants to connect with Luke. She wants to bring him back into the story, back into relevance. Right. She wants to learn about the Jedi text. She rejects the idea that the Jedi failed. But you turn Vader back to the light. Kylo, meanwhile, absolutely embodies the theme in the most ruthless possible way. Kills his master. Tries to kill his old master, Luke. He says explicitly numerous times, let's just scrap all of this and make something completely new. Right. And that's why the symbolism of that throne room scene in particular is so potent. Yeah. The, the two phases of it. There's the part of it where they are in sync, where totally. they are really operating as one, sort yes. of the physical embodiment of this balance and the force that Luke and Ray spend so much time discussing. And we kind of can't help but root for them, but root for this union, you know, to root for the it's fact thrilling. that— It's thrilling. Truly thrilling. And one of the things that—because we saw this movie together— and we've both seen it twice, and we saw it for the first time together the night it came out. And one of the things that we spoke about most in the moments after leaving the theater, we were there with our producers, Jason Cahill yes. and Isaac Lee. And the four of us spent a lot of time talking about the idea of ambiguity right. and how appealing that actually is yes. and how as, as viewers, sometimes we don't actually want to know. And right. should the movie have maybe ended right here? When you still could have held on to the idea yeah. that Kylo hadn't made his choice. Who's going to go which way? You maybe wanted that, right? I think that would have been truly compelling. Is Kylo going to come to the light or is he going to stay dark? Is he playing some sort of long con on Rey where he's trying to draw her in by feigning this weakness to the light side? Right. That would have been fascinating to me to end there. Right. Yeah, I think... I like everything that followed. I do like everything in that the followed. film, and so I'm I'm basically okay with how it went. But I sure. I also agree with you that there would have been something truly delightful yeah. as a fan of the story to be able to spend the next you know X number of months just debate it. Yeah, how is that what, scene going to end? How's it going to go? Who, do they take each other's hands? Yeah, what plays out? Well, instead we know what plays out, which is this split. You know, there is this moment where they both recognize that the other person is not going to give them what they want. It is actually quite 
beautiful and painful to watch. You know, the way that Ray says, don't do this. Right. Like, don't she go is this way. so yeah. truly let down and betrayed by someone who literally minutes ago, <laughs> minutes ago, minutes ago in the, in the lifeline and the time frame of the film, she thought was a monster. 100%. The way that he says with this really desperate loneliness, please. Yeah. He knows he's looking at the last person who has That's ever it. believed in him and yeah. who might ever believe in him again. The other people, he's surrounded by thousands, millions. Right. We don't know the count. They're there because they have right. to be. They're afraid of him or they're sycophants or both. Right. This is a person who looked at him and said, I choose to believe that you can choose to be good. Yes. And if she doesn't take his hand, that's over. Maybe forever. They really actually want to be on the same side. They both want it, but they're not, at least not yet. And that is in part because Kylo is ready to break away from the past in a way right. that Ray, who, as Jason noted, is looking to Luke for guidance, yeah. is fueled by this desperate desire to know who she is, to right. learn about her parents, to understand her roots and her past. What's my she place is in all this? literally flying around in a ship in the Millennium Falcon exactly. that is as much of a symbol as anything yes. in the new movies of the past. Yes. A ship, by the way, that belonged to Kylo's father. Like, how much Incredible. finer of a point can you I put love on the, it? I love the moment on Crate when... Beautiful. Beautiful. Whole beautiful Ray appears there. in the Millennium Falcon and she's taking the TIE fighters out of the sky and Ren sees this on some screen and he says, blast that piece of junk yeah. out of the sky with a yes. real weight of experience you know think about how long he's probably spent in that ship right imagine that feeling too that not only did ray reject him yeah she is now challenging him in his father's vessel yeah like everything about that is a reminder of how somebody along the way didn't choose him right. or he didn't choose them and so the culmination of this moment is that they both go for the lightsaber not just any lightsaber right. Anakin Skywalker's <laughs> the symbolism here on every level is incredible. It is one of the most overt, physical, yeah. tangible ties to the past of anything in the films. And what happens? They split it, Break it in, in two, representing their divide, but also their balance. This yeah. idea that they are really these two halves of a whole, these two sides of the force. And their split view their split intentions doesn't change the fact that they are united yeah. in this way. And it is this it is really this perfect movie moment. They cannot agree right. on the future or the present. And so they have to literally break the past. Incredible. And we should mention here, yeah. before we go too far, in one of the force time sessions, mm -hmm. Ray appears before Kylo and he appears before her. And he does not have his shirt on. Yeah, I'm familiar with this scene. We should mention that I was mildly stunned by the shape of Adam Driver's torso, which I would describe as like a, a triangle standing on one of its points. I think the guy just does bench presses only. And he had that high-waisted pants. It did look like he was wearing a girdle. Like the waistline was yes. so high. However, yes. I thought he looked great. I think it's worth noting that he is a former Marine, former Marine. and that that was clear yeah. in that scene. Also, a lot of flack after The Force Awakens for how he looked like this, like, sort of, like, insect-like right. Pacey, yeah, weird. He's not. He's put it in the work. Anyone who's ever watched Girls knows that he is, like, weirdly buff. Weirdly buff. Weirdly buff. Let me just say this about the high-waisted pants. Yeah. I am team he didn't have the abs, and that's why they did that. Okay. If you have steak... 
you show the steak. I'm team. We have another movie to make <laughs> and show them the steak, right. but save Just the, tip the, of the mashed steak. potatoes right, and sure. the roasted mushrooms and the gravy and, and everything else for later. Keep it lean, guys. Keep it lean. <laughs> also, yeah, I, I've now read so many interviews with Ryan Johnson. And again, listened to an interview with Ryan Johnson right here on the Great radio podcast network on The Big Picture that I can't, I can't remember. I'm sorry that I can't remember which particular interview this was in. But someone asked him about this. And also basically was like, has Kylo ever kissed a girl? Yeah, that was a great question. And because they both are so, Ray and Kylo are both so uncomfortable in this moment. Yeah. You know, she's like, do you have a cow? Do you right. have a cow? Just anything to cover right. up with. And Ryan Johnson basically said, if I recall, that he felt it was important to sort of force that intimacy yes. upon Ray to put her in a position where this person who you hate right. and who you don't actually want to let into your life, Has you suddenly off. have to acknowledge in a way that makes you really uncomfortable. Right. And for Kylo, it's like, well, has he like ever been like or half something. naked with Anything? like another person? Sure. We don't know. And apparently yeah, in, this, in, in this interview, Ryan Johnson revealed that Adam Driver asked him about that. It was like, it's a good question. Like, has, so have I like... <laughs> Have I ever, like, held hands with a girl? A lot of virgins in space. <laughs> Speaking of virgins, let's talk about Luke Skywalker. <laughs> a great point, by the way. <laughs> Breaking news, guys. The Jedi, they were incompetent. Yeah. We covered this last week when we talked about heroes and villains in a galaxy far, far away. Specifically, the rise of the Emperor and the way the August Jedi Council was like, what's going on? Who? Yeah, there's a Sith Lord. I, I think uh, he's accruing power somehow. We can't figure out who he is. Has he been talking to the little boy that we've all spent three full movies right. saying, eh, something's not quite right. Blind we are. And Luke takes this on directly when he begins training yes. Rey. He says to her, lesson number two. Now that they're extinct, the Jedi are romanticized, deified. Strip away the myth and look at their deeds. The legacy of the Jedi is failure, mm -hmm. hypocrisy, hubris, and races. That's not true. Luke points out, rightly. Ray, speaking for fanboys everywhere. Everywhere. That's not that, true. That's impossible. That's impossible. <laughs> that's impossible. <laughs> Luke says, at the height of their powers, they allowed Darth Sidious to rise Create the Empire yep. and wipe them out. Yes. It was a yeah. Jedi Master, yep. Obi-Wan Kenobi, who was responsible for the training mm -hmm. and creation of Darth Vader. Good notes. Ray points out, <laughs> and a Jedi who saved him. Meanwhile, impossible to escape the irony. Luke. Impossible. It's impossible. <laughs> Luke, responsible for training <laughs> Kylo Ren. You know, one of the critiques of Rey's character in The Force Awakens is this kind of Mary Sue critique. Oh, she's just good at everything. Mm -hmm. All of a sudden, she's good. She can just, like, wheel a lightsaber. She knows the Force and stuff. That, to me, is it's actually fascinating because it allows you to contrast the difference between Luke and Anakin and their training and Rey's training. Rey's a natural. Like, take this as canonical within the movies themselves. She's a natural. She handles a lightsaber like she was born to it. Snoke. In that scene when he is castigating Kylo, uses this as a cudgel against him, beaten by an untrained girl. Right. Luke needed to develop his power. He struggled to fucking stack rocks, this guy. <laughs> could not, he could barely stack rocks. Ray, meanwhile, picked up a lightsaber one time and is dueling with a, like, I don't know what Kylo's level is, like a brown belt, like almost a Jedi Master. She lacks wisdom and direction, not a 
ability. And there's that great scene when, when Luke is first teaching her what the force is. And he says, reach out with your feelings. What do you see? And she says, the island, life, death, decay, that feeds new life, warmth, cold, peace, violence. And Luke says, in between it all, balance, energy, a force. And Luke says, and inside of you, inside me, that same force. And Luke points out, this is the lesson that force does not belong to the Jedi. To say if the Jedi dies, the light dies, is vanity. Can you feel that? It's a great point. And I love that moment. And one of the most interesting philosophical points ever made in a Star Wars movie. Very cognizant here of not like pissing off people who care about the story a lot. Yes. And we really like Star Wars, just we so like you Star- know. But one of the things that stands out, especially when rewatching the films mm-hmm. in a concentrated period of time, as we yeah. just did, is you do really feel and notice these moments where either stuff is missing entirely or we're traveling at light speed, not only through space, but through this story, through the mythology, through the world building. You just basically have to accept as fact, of course, this is truly problematic in the prequels. It is not something that people consider problematic in the original trilogy, but it is sort of present. This is just like, okay, we're going to tell you this thing, and then it's just part of the way you understand this universe and the rules of the universe. And as long as the universe continues to abide by those rules, it will be okay. And so it's so rare. It's so rare for a character to pause and question not only his or her reality, but the reality that defines existence in this universe. And I just found it like extremely refreshing, not only because of our own stance on the Jedi failure, but because of what it represented for introspection and doubt at large in the story and the power that those emotions can have. It's important. Yes. Especially if you're supposed to be a hero. You know, why do we love Jon Snow so much? And we have to keep this quick because, boy, <laughs> that's another podcast. And if you're interested in hearing keep our thoughts, lead. we got 67 hours for yeah. you. More than 67 hours. 67 yeah. episodes. Right. So much doubt. Yes. Defined by doubt. That reluctant hero doesn't think, doesn't understand why he's chosen. Right. That is crucial. It is crucial. The opposite of that is entitlement and hubris. And so for Luke to be identifying that, not only in himself, but in the people around him. It's great. That matters. It matters. This is an aside, but it's something like I think about when I think about Batman a lot is the way that the weight of the history of a narrative informs the narrative itself. Okay. So like Batman, when they first created the character, Batman doesn't kill. That makes sense. Extrapolate that out to 40, 50 years of Batman history. Now that what seemed like a noble stance, I won't kill, is this weird psychology, this really strange thing of, wait, does this person actually enjoy this constant battle? Why don't you just put an end to this? Does, Does this person enjoy it? And here is Luke looking back at the weight of all this history and saying, well, wait, what does this actually mean right. to what is happening right now? We, can we pretend that that didn't happen and still say that the Jedi are heroes after they trained Darth Vader? We can't do that. Right. We, have to, we have to reassess what, what has happened. Right. He's really making the same choice that Kylo is, obviously yeah. in different ways, different specifics. He's choosing to break away from the past, to break away from the rules that are supposed to define the course of his mm-hmm. life. The way that he throws around more than once the word legend. Yeah. To Ray Spits it out. about himself. It's filthy. Yeah. It feels wrong in his mouth. Right. And it's because he no longer feels worthy of the label. And not right. only does he not feel worthy of it, he thinks that idea is dangerous. Yeah. Why? Because he failed. And so how does the film explore that idea of his failure and the implications of that failure? Well, Ray leaves. She has her moment 
down in the vagina hole cave that she <laughs> that sucks her in with its power. The dark vagina hole cave. Don't go all the way to the bottom of the <laughs> vagina hole cave, Luke tells her. Again, Luke is a... Uh, <laughs> Luke is a space Luke virgin. Is, <laughs> One of the most virgin. epic space virgins we have ever seen. Ray leaves. She goes to try to turn Kylo. She's given up on Luke. And in his despair, yeah. not only over Ray in particular and the fear that he feels when he looks at her, you know, he says, I've seen this raw strength only once before. It didn't scare me enough then. It does, does now. now. She reminds him... Of Kylo. He yeah. sees what we as an audience see. They are two halves of a whole. He's distraught about everything. And so he goes to burn down this tree, this sacred space, this seat of the Jedi Order. It houses the sacred text. And who should appear just in Luke's oh. moment of hesitation? Oh, hello, Luke. Virgin, <laughs> are you? <laughs> Yoda. Yoda is back. Ghost Yoda. And he's there, sure, to urge Luke to train Ray to help Ray, to do what Ray is basically imploring Luke to do. Hey, Leia needs your help. We all need your help. Come help us. But he's also there to kind of mock him. Yeah. And through that mockery, to teach him another lesson. And this is one of the things we talked about last week with the idea of maybe where is Luke even on the hero's journey? Did he complete it like we thought he did? Is he traveling that path again? This was one of those moments where you felt that in a kind of cool way. Yoda acknowledges what Luke has been feeling. The Jedi failed. Yeah. It's true, but that doesn't mean that you should give up. This is something Barak says to John in Game of Thrones. This is an idea that Dumbledore has ingrained yes. in Harry. Always evil returns, but you have to keep fighting. That's right. You have to keep fighting because only then can it be kept at bay if never quite eradicated. This is a similar idea. The greatest teacher. The greatest teacher failure is. <laughs> That's what Yoda returns yeah. to say. Give her the tools. Right. Don't worry about those burning books, though, of course. Ray had taken them. Oh, yeah. Ray just, like, Ray's downloaded like, everything to Ray. her Kindle. Dee, 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 dee. like, I, I got the, What's the, the that? Voyager. Is it, oh, good here. This is all my books. Ample battery I life. I have these on these. Yeah. <laughs> Give her the tools. She already has what she needs inside of her. Right. It's about her figuring out how to wield them. And failure, Yoda says, is as much a part of that process as anything else. He basically says to Luke, you sort of forgot right. one of the things I told you about passing this down and about the legacy of what we do. Right. It's not just about being the chosen one right. or this power that you have, which, of course, is one of the things that Luke is saying. You know, he has those two moments with Ray and Kylo where he says, amazing, you know, every word in right. that sentence was wrong. And it's about the, it's, this isn't a superpower. Right. What is this? It's this energy. It's this thing that binds us. Well, part of what binds us is failure. Part of what defines us is failure. That has to be a part of the process. What is failure, Yoda says? The greatest teacher failure is? The greatest teacher. And Yoda would know, you know? Yoda (laughs) Yoda, would know. Yoda was taking L's for at least 100 of the 900 years. (laughs) Oh, at least. At least. And he says... We are what yeah. they grow we beyond. We are what they grow beyond. That's the burden. That's, That's the burden yeah. of being a master is that your pupils will one day pass you. That's right. Which Star Wars characters have ever had the strength to say the past won't define me? Anakin became Darth because 
of the trauma of losing his mother yes. and the fact that he didn't want that to happen with Padme to hold me by the lake at Naboo. Don't yes. like sand. I don't like it gets everywhere. <laughs> Luke always operated against what Anakin became, trained by a 900-year-old embodiment of ancient wisdom and practices. Star Wars has long been about replicating what worked. Let's do it again. The Force Awakens, in many ways, was simply, let's take the blueprint of what worked right. and let's pass it on to a, a new generation of fans. It's about rebirth now. And we're reminded of a quote from Mallory's husband, Jorah. Mm. There's a beast in every man and it stirs when you put a sword in his hand. Yes. That is true. Or a lightsaber. Yes. But it's how the man chooses to channel the beast that matters. Yes. Luke Ray and Kylo have all made different choices. We want to now kind of pan out. Yes. Because we have explored how this desire to kill the past define the choices that certain characters did or did not make within the movie. But this also applies to Star Wars at large, yeah. to the franchise. And The Last Jedi, in numerous respects, subverts fan expectations. We think that Many of the ways it does that are, are masterful, but it is incumbent upon us to note yeah. the, the conversation of the moment. And that is that not everybody is sure. happy about this. And just kind of open here with like a general note about the nature of fandom. Yeah. We are obsessive people. We care. Are we? <laughs> we care deeply about our passions. Yes. And so – we are not ones to look at another passionate fan base getting upset about something and just hand wave it. Right. It's like worth exploring what is fueling that. Now, this week, an alt-right group named Down With Disney's Treatment of Franchises and its fanboys. It just rolls off the tongue. D-W-D-T-O-F-A-I-F. I think it was. Snap it. <laughs> they reportedly took responsibility for like flooding Rotten Tomatoes with negative reviews. So in case you haven't been following this, yes. quickly, the critical reception for this movie is like overwhelmingly positive. Scores in the 90s on CineScore and Rotten Tomatoes and anywhere you look. The fan score on Rotten Tomatoes is in the 50s. Yeah. This is like a historic gap. And there's been a lot of downvoting and outrage on Reddit and yeah. on Rotten Tomatoes. Why? Well, some of it is genuine rage, and some of it seems to be like a deliberate campaign by really angry parties to lower those metrics. There's literally a petition online that you can sign to scrub this movie from Star Wars canon. That is unbelievable. Good luck, guys. And a little bit scary. Yeah. So, very important to note, it is not okay to hate a movie because there are yes. women in it. Yes. In prominent roles. And that's what it, this is about for a lot of people. That is certainly same, a strain of that argument. Is same people that. who are like, women can't bust ghosts? <laughs> women can't steal jewels from Met Galas? Yes. These are the people who are unhappy that this movie, which is not actually totally about Ray, but was certainly marketed as being right. about Ray and is largely built right. around her arc. We should be celebrating that and applauding it. But it is also important to note that those are not the only people who are upset. Right. And there are some people who are more rational, who yeah. are concerned about the direction of the franchise. And it's it's worth talking about why. And one of the parts of doing that is asking just a general question. Who owns these stories? Right. Who owns Star Wars? Who owns any story that people care about? Is it the creators or is it the fans? Right. And Ryan Johnson when he came on the Big Picture podcast and spoke to Sean, sort of addressed this in a way that I, 
we thought was really interesting. He yeah. had a couple different comments on it, and here are a few snippets. He said, this, meaning this movie, is kind of what Star Wars feels like to me. Right. He also said, every single fan has a different compass because everyone grew up in a slightly different time. And then he also said, it's a very personal thing. I know it's different for every fan, but I had to make it personal. I had to make my version of what felt right. And so he is acknowledging that this is his particular account of the next phase of a Star Wars story. And of course, like, how could it not be? If everybody's beholden to the same thing, you never get a newer original movie. And there's a part of me that is, like, sympathetic to people who are upset by this because if yes. somebody came in and changed <laughs> Harry Potter, yeah, let's say a couple playwrights came in and sure. pitched a, a play called Harry Potter and the Cursed Child right. and then none of it made sense and it was basically Opening an abomination, yes. I would be upset. Like, I was upset about Cursed Child. I was also grateful to have another installment in a story I love. I personally think about Star Wars differently both because I do not obsess over it in quite the same way that I do over Harry Potter and Game of Thrones. I, I care about it a lot, but it's not like a seminal text in my life. And then also, I just think it feels imperative to expand the slate. You know, they're going to keep making these movies forever. Forever. Ryan Johnson has already gotten his own new trilogy. Yes. We're going to get episode nine. We're getting Han Solo in like five months, that's, I think. That's wild. That they're that's, not going to stop making these no. movies. And so if they continue to make them, they have to evolve beyond one family and one narrative or the movies are not going to be interesting. Yes. Let's talk about Leia's non-death and other controversial moment. I am team. I love this. First of all, because the image of Leia floating through space, zero gravity, the debris all around her, kind of this light from a nearby star kind of like highlighting her face and then her reaching out using the force, that's genuinely something we have never seen ever before in a story. Like from the image to the content to everything in that scene, you've never seen that before. Now, some of you are going to say, oh, that's cheap. That was the perfect opportunity to write her out of the story, obviously. For me, I don't want to speak for you, but for me in that moment watching that, it was this incredible feeling of the fictional and the real merging for a moment. Of course, yes. we all know that Carrie passed away. Right. There's this person that's been a part of everyone's life for decades, you know, and here it was this moment. And I'm thinking, OK, this is this is how it happened. This is how they do it. This is the send off. This is what. And, and, and you, I started to make peace with the fact that I'm not going to see this person anymore. This is you know, sad. And then when she uses the force to to pull herself back into the ship, I was elated. It's this feeling of like, wow, I thought it was over and I'm going to get to spend 20 minutes, 30 minutes, another hour with this person that I thought was gone. Really an amazing moment. And I mean, some people are going to say that it's cheesy, but sincere emotion doesn't always mean bad storytelling right. also. And this is somewhat petty and aside, the kind of like the Mary Poppins memeing of mm -hmm. this moment. A woman died, guys. Can we show a little respect? You know what I mean? Like, see, I'm, I'm like kind of serious about this. Like, yeah. she's dead. Yeah. And also, it's like she actually got to use the force that yes. is canonical the skywalker blood strong in the force they there are. is another there is another i really love this moment i liked it too for all of those yeah. same reasons oh. sorry guys one of the other bits of we thought quite masterful subversion of fan expectations was the fact that snoke kind of ended up not mattering a yes. lot of the post force awakens theorizing and speculations was who is this guy who is he who is he, is he who Darth is he Plagueis? from the past who is he 
what connection does he have to these characters? How will he matter? And like, again, this kind of feels like representative and emblematic of the type of change that is important to sustain the franchise. Right. Like, first of all, worth noting, who says we won't get his backstory? Right. There's no I mean, one a million a- of these movies. <laughs> There's a million of these movies. The Star Wars comic books are like pretty much the number one sellers at, on Marvel right now. There's a lot of content and there's a lot of ways that Snoke's background can come out. Right. You might still get Snoke, a Star Wars story. Yes. But if you don't, isn't that okay? That feels okay to us. Because, let's say, okay, if he's Darth Plagueis, how does that help this trilogy? A story about Kylo and Rey. Right. How does Snoke maybe being Emperor Palpatine's former master matter Yeah. for Rey? It doesn't. It's a distraction. It's that connection to the past that the movie and the characters are telling us shouldn't matter anymore. You know, this is about a new day and a new order severing those ties. It's not about who Snoke is, and, and it really shouldn't be. And, and you know, found it kind of, like, genuinely thrilling to realize also that this trilogy was not going to follow that exact same right. script of this big bad serving as this puppeteer yes. and the character, the villain, who we're more emotionally invested in, like we noted about Vader before— being his errand boy, you know, the idea that Kylo was going to say, I actually don't need a master. Right. I'm in control now. That felt new and exciting. It did. I mean, and the lesson of a character like Snoke, like the Emperor, essentially is hubris is a killer. Age old storytelling right. device. To get killed by a guy using his mind while right. you're saying, I can see your mind. Did we need another movie for Snoke to teach us that? Not really. No. Like, and, and, it's, and it will be fascinating to see how Kylo deals with this newfound responsibility. He's responsible for a huge military and political organization now. Raise parents. Yes. The other thing that falls into this category, for us at least, of very effective subversion of expectations. First question. Real or not real? I think it's real. I do think it's real. I think so, too. And she'd feel it, I feel like, if he was lying. Right. More than thinking so, I hope so. Because this was a true, true, true surprise. You know, more even than who is Snoke, the bulk of the theorizing after The Force Awakens centered on who is Rey. Right. Who were her parents? And... Numerous theories were out there in the world involving various characters from Star Wars past, but many of them, most of them, centered on the Skywalkers. Is she Luke's kid? How is she a part of the Skywalker story? Why do people care about that? Well, back in 2015, Lucasfilm's boss, Kathleen Kennedy, who oversees this franchise, said the saga films focus on the Skywalker family saga. This was not like a shock to people. Huge Star Wars fans already felt this. They thought this was a story about the Skywalkers, and then somebody in a position of power confirmed that for them. So now a lot of people who care about the story are holding the franchise accountable for that idea and are extremely unhappy that Rey is not a Skywalker or that Rey is not the spawn of someone they knew and were already invested in. But again, as a subversion of fan expectations, making Rey's parents no one, if they really are no one, is... Brilliant. Yes. You know, how often are you actually truly that surprised? Not only in a movie, but especially in like a serialized genre of franchise like yes. this. And neither of us want to negate. Please listen. Yeah. Please listen, people, before I you hear them. us about this. I can hear that. Neither the of us want to negate how important the Skywalkers are. They're incredibly important. They're going to continue to be important. We get that. We think that. But it is also worth noting that Ray coming from no one and coming from nowhere 
is what the best fantasy right. stories are always about. You know, at some point, if this just always keeps being about the Skywalkers as the chosen ones, they stop being farm boys who realize that they were chosen right. and they start just being basically galactic royalty. And right. then that is just flat out uninteresting yeah. at a certain point. Ray being the child of disappointing parents who sold her off for booze. That is a quintessential yes. fantasy origin story. That idea that Jason and I always talk about the thing that we love so much about fantasy stories it's that idea that anyone anywhere right. can be special. Yes. This should thrill people. Absolutely. It would definitely thrill Broom Boy. Broom Boy! If he knew it. You know, the Force awoke in Rey. And if Rey is no one, that means the Force can awaken in you and in us and in anyone. And that is why we love stories like this. You know, it's Lewin telling Bran that every yes. child wants to think he or she is special. You know, it's Harry being famous for something that he couldn't control before right. he even understood why. It's Frodo in the ring and the idea that the smallest person can make the biggest difference. Yes. It's the possibility that you can do something important no matter who you are. That is why people connect to stories like this. And so we should be grateful and yes. thankful for the fact that we're getting that here. And of course, this doesn't mean that we're done with Skywalkers. Ray not being a Skywalker and the franchise at large still being about the Skywalker family are not mutually exclusive. Kylo is still a Skywalker. That's Skywalker blood. <laughs> As Luke says, that's why Snow keeps talking about his bloodline. He means Vader. He means Anakin Skywalker. No shots at Han. Great smuggler, handsome guy. Didn't have the force in his blood. He doesn't mean the solo side. Snoke didn't. And two, who knows if the Ray reveal is real. Luke can come back also. I, I sense mm -hmm. that we have not seen the end of Luke Skywalker. And Yoda, listen, Yoda's been, Yoda died what, how many films ago? And this guy comes back every single movie. Another great subversion, the Jedi being labeled as fails. Less a subversion than a honest accounting of the deeds of the Jedi Order, the Jedi Knights, and the Jedi Council. If the Jedi were so wise, so powerful, why is the galaxy so fucked, guys? Right. Power in and of itself, whether you're on the light side or the dark side, blinds to a certain extent. The Jedi were absolutely in love with the idea of themselves as these keepers of justice and balance throughout the galaxy such that they just weren't able to see the things that were happening right in front of them. Right. Also, the actual like mechanics of the story, like right. how the force works, it's not just like irresponsible invention. It's actually pretty consistent across the franchise. Yeah. And Ryan Johnson addressed this in an interview that he did with the LA Times he said, the truth is, because Star Wars until The Force Awakens had been set in amber and we hadn't had a new Star Wars movie in 10 years, you forget that they were introducing new Force stuff with each, each movie, movie. Absolutely based true. on the requirements of the story. Force grabbing didn't come around until Empire. It wasn't in A New Hope. Same with Force Ghosts. They introduced new ideas of what could happen with the Force each time. Not every change is bad. Sometimes the changes are actually consistent with the evolution of yes. the story at large. And... Again, if you care about this, we are not going to tell you that you can't be upset. Your feelings are valid and justified, but give it a chance. Here's another perspective. This is cool. And now, a quick break for a word from our sponsor. Today's podcast is brought to you by ShopRunner. Have some last-minute holiday shopping to do and want to avoid shipping return fees? All ShopRunner members receive a free two-day shipping and returns at over 140 top retailers like Saks, Off-Fifth, Shinola, and Lord & Taylor. Sign up for a free membership today and no one will know you waited until the last minute to shop. Yes, they will. Go to www.shoprunner.com 
slash promo slash podcast to learn more and sign up for a free one year long membership today. That's www.shoprunner.com slash promo slash podcast. Jason. Yeah. The seed of the Jedi Order lives. Gross. (laughs) And as long as it does, hope lives in the galaxy. I thought you would be the one to snuff it out. No. But Lucasfilms beat you to it. Yeah, they did. (laughs) Given the amount of flack that Ryan Johnson seems to be taking for adjusting the Star Wars canon, it feels very important to pan back and offer some perspective on earlier shifts within the wider franchise. So, before another petition hits the internet or Vice Admiral Holdo (laughs) splits this podcast studio in half, please assemble the Conclave and head to the Citadel. Please grab your fire extinguisher and head to Octo. Is that what we landed on? Sure, Octo? Octo. Octo? Yes. Octo? Octo. Sure, either. To teach us everything we need to know about Lucasfilm's 2014 decision to nuke the expanded universe from Star Wars canon. In April 2014, Lucasfilm, the production company founded by George Lucas, announced that its expanded universe, the vast firmament of non-film Star Wars fiction spanning comic books, novels, video games, and television shows, would no longer be canon. Thereafter, only the original trilogy, prequels trilogy, Clone Wars animated series, and Clone Wars movie would be considered doctrine. In a press release announcing the decision, Lucasfilm president Kathleen Kennedy said... We have an unprecedented slate of new Star Wars entertainment on the horizon. We're set to bring Star Wars back to the big screen and continue the adventure through games, books, comics, and new formats that are just emerging. This future of interconnected storytelling will allow fans to explore the galaxy in deeper ways than ever before. The announcement continues, and I quote, In order to give maximum creative freedom to the filmmakers and also preserve an element of surprise and discovery for the audience, Mm. Star Wars Episodes 7 through 9 will not tell the same story told in the post-Return of the Jedi expanded universe. While the universe that readers knew is changing, it is not being discarded. Creators of a new Star Wars entertainment have full access to the rich content of the expanded universe. For example, elements of the EU are included in Star Wars Rebels. Now... Great example of the influence of, of the EU and the role it played in Star Wars fandom is Boba Fett. Fett appears in, and not counting the special edition absolute tragedy that occurs, is <laughs> The Empire Strikes Back, that memorable scene of Darth Vader addressing that uh, raggedy collection of bounty hunter scum. That scene is like 45 seconds. Right. And there's Boba Fett. He later appears in various other little short snippets, including to take custody of Han Solo after he's been frozen in carbonite. In Return of the Jedi, Boba dies ignominiously when his jetpack misfires and he falls into the Sarlacc pit to be digested over a thousand years. A supercut of all his scenes from the original trilogy, which includes that special edition New Hope scene, is less than seven minutes long. That's it. Boba Fett, in other words, does nothing on screen. Almost nothing, but look cool. Yet he was wildly popular with Star Wars fans. Three movies, one every three years or so, was not enough for these fans. And so the EU sprung up to meet the needs of this surprise market. By 2004, 1,147 titles, this according to Zach Cram, books, comics, etc., had been released. A universe of content indeed. Now, before the edict, the EU was considered C-canon, the third most authoritative level of Star Wars canon on a five-level scale. The others, in in order of decreasing importance, were GWL canon, which is the George Lucas canon, that's the movies, T-canon, which comprises the Clone Wars animated films, 
then there's C canon, then there's S canon, which is similar to C canon, but, and I'm quoting Wikipedia here because this is extremely convoluted, <laughs> quote, it was immediately superseded by anything in higher levels of canon in any place where two elements contradict each other. The non-contradicting elements were still a canon part of Star Wars universe. This included certain elements of a few end canon stories, whatever that means. And then there's end canon, which is not canon, which is exactly what you think it means. Just as now with Last Jedi, director Ryan Johnson's take on Star Wars the changes to the EU were controversial for Star Wars fans. In 2016, Timothy Zahn, the author of the Thrawn trilogy, which many consider the EU's defining story, told fans, quote, I can understand the feeling of camaraderie, the feeling of this is our people, this is our organization, these are our books. But at some point, you just have to take a deep breath and say, okay, that's over. We accept it. We go on. We've got the books. Or as Yoda would say, after nuking the tree, ah, <laughs> the sacred Jedi texts, read them, have you? <laughs> Page turners, they were not. <laughs> Jason, yeah! Why are you here? Something inside me has always been there, and now it's awake, and I'm afraid. I don't know what it is or what to do with it. I need help. You need a teacher. I can't teach you. What? But I can take you to the Jedi Temple, or better yet, to the Sept! Yes! To bathe in the light of the Seven by sharing seven of our favorite nuggets and observations from Last Jedi. Still lightning round style. Yes. Lots to talk about here. I'm gonna go first. Yeah! Number one, eat the pork. You got to eat it now. You already killed the pork. You killed it already. Now, I would rather <laughs> no one killed or roasted a pork. I want to be very clear. <laughs> Keep the porks alive. Protect porks. Protect porks. Protect guys. porks at all costs. But <sighs> if you have already transgressed by murdering and plucking two and porks. roasting two porks, don't let their lives eat, eat go the to waste. Eat, eat the them, no matter how much that other darling little porg is shaming you with his sweet little palate face. V- looks very sad. Love him. And just in general. Yeah. Again, porgs are great. Great movie for new creatures. Love them. Love the porgs. Love the fathiers. I'm a big fan of the fathiers. Or however that's sure. pronounced. The little crystal critters. The vault So precious. It's beautiful. Great stuff. We were remiss if we didn't mention another character that has returned for The Last Jedi. The blue milk! The blue milk! <laughs> the blue milk. Of Tatooine Moisture Farm fame. Luke Skywalker like a savage stalking down to the coast to milk a walrus. Suck the blue milk directly from the teat. So nutrient rich. To be fair, he yes. squeezed it okay. into a it was, I'm just receptacle. Saying, I'm just saying it was. I'm just <laughs> saying was it was one directly degree of separation. There, <laughs> the, the index card that the NFL refs <laughs> use. There was that thickness of separation. Listen, I'm just saying, if Ray wasn't there, I bet this guy goes straight from the tap. This is like you're saying he he pulls a Robin Aaron. Yes. He can. <laughs> yes. Ooh. I'm hungry, mother. Number three. Should Finn have died? Uh. I think there's a case for it. I think there's a case. Beautiful moment in the film. In general, not necessarily a great movie for Finn. We're huge Boyega fans here. We love Finn as a character. But it wasn't even like a B storyline. He was just so off in the tangents of the story that in that moment, when he's driving himself into the fire of this cannon that's going to crack the door like an egg, his words... You want, based on every lesson that this movie has taught you as a viewer, to believe that the choices and the decisions the characters are making matter, that the stakes are real. And so even though we've seen other very meaningful sacrifices in the movie, you know, the famed 
Star Wars breaking Holdo maneuver. You want that choice of his to matter. And if the outcome either way is going to be, oh, kind of disappointed either that he's dead because it's a character we like or that Rose saved him and took those stakes away, maybe you don't put him in, in that position in the first place. Agree. Number four, Admiral Akbar, my dude, the Mon Calamari. Died in a trap. No one said anything about it. I'm team Andy Greenwald on this. I did want a little bit more from my dude, Admiral Akbar. Always one to recognize a trap, except this particular time. <laughs> oh, the irony. Number five. We hinted at this earlier, but let's just pour one out quickly. Some mare's mead for Brienne of Tarth, who did absolutely nothing zero. in these movies. Very An extremely hyped Very casting announcement when we found out that Gwendolyn Christie was going to be in Star Wars. People were really jazzed. And Captain Phasma yes. amassed, like, we don't have an exact count, despite Zach Cram's best efforts. Shouts to Zach Cram Shouts for all Zach his hard Cram. work. It's like less than five minutes of total screen time Boba across fetish. two movies. And, you know, that little Chrome Dome nickname that Finn, right. Finn gave her, that was cool. That part felt good. But just got to assume that we're not the only ones who are un- unhappy and that somewhere Tormund is absolutely distraught. I mean, let's just break it down very quickly. In The Force Awakens, she marches in, looks really cool, and at the end basically lowers the shields. Right. Like for and n- apparently there are no consequences for doing right. that. You don't get demoted or anything. You get to be in charge. You don't get demoted. Poe uh, gets knocked down from commander to captain. Captain Phasma's still a captain. And then in Last Jedi, gets beaten in single combat. Yes, there were extenuating circumstances by Finn, who used to be a janitor. <laughs> Tough. Number six. Tracking through light speed, not such a deus ex machina after all, from EW.com. Quote, a laser-focused Star Wars fan pointed out the revelation when Jyn Erso, Felicity Jones, is looking for the Death Star blueprints on planet Scarif. She finds a file for hyperspace tracking, and just like that, we have an explanation for what became the bane of the Resistance in Last Jedi. Really cool Easter egg there. Finally, number seven. Just a little quick little love letter here to General Hux. I'll take it in my chambers. (laughs) Now, Hux as a character is deplorable, but... Terrible human. (laughs) Donald Gleason, A.I. Ash. A.I. Ash, a a non-breathing fuckstick who who doesn't quit. (laughs) Just a truly great performance. (laughs) Yes. And in general, I want to give a little nod to the humor in this movie because it's extremely dark and tense. And there was a lot of levity, and that felt like really energizing and restorative throughout. And and AI Ash was a big part of that. So good work. That's right, Mal. Yeah, sounds like this master code breaker could do everything. Oh yes, <laughs> <laughs> and yet he is not today's winner. Every episode, we're going to honor the person or idea that compelled us the most, that brought Maz to climax. And this week, we're awarding our champions purse, which DJ helped us thieve too. BB-8! BB-8! I mean, we probably could have made Maz the winner for the clear <laughs> reveal that Maz fucks. Maz fucks, guys. <laughs> oh, yeah. <laughs> but we're going to keep it uh, PG instead and go the BB-8 route. BB-8 is truly, truly, truly... Does a lot. The star of the movie! He does a lot. Like, it is about... Luke's conflict and it is about the choices that Kylo and Rey make sure we just devoted an hour to exploring all of that who's the star like who's on the movie poster that you really should make let me say this I've seen the movie twice each time there's something that happens to BB he gets thrown against the wall during an explosion something else the entire theater is like 
Oh no! Uh, right. Oh my God! People he are better so, be okay. So emotionally yes. invested in him, you just want to scoop him up and cradle him like Adam Driver is doing on their press tour currently. <laughs> yeah, it's incredible. Stuff. BB is fun. Yes. BB is sweet. BB is kind. BB is loyal. He's this like bright little ball of love and light and energy and goodness. He is really, in many ways, the spark that everyone keeps talking about. The spark that's going to light the fire, that's going to burn the First Order down. He's doing work. He is. And, of course, an incredible friendship with Poe. It's Beautiful. not like a it's not like a pet. This is a true friendship, the way they hug and nuzzle and trip each other. Beautiful bond. Beautiful. And, on top of that, he's not just the sweet, cuddly guy. He gets it done. He Getting gets it shit done. done. On Canto Bite, he ties up five or four guards despite the fact that he has no hands which like let's whatever fixes Poe's X-wing guns so that Poe can finish the dreadnought cannons he helps DJ steal a ship and facilitate Finn and Rose's escape he commandeers and controls an ATST aboard Snoke's ship to help Finn and Rose escape from Phasma's gang literally the only thing he fails to do is find a way out of the rebel base on crate that's it he does everything. And it's not his fault that that exit's not in the scans. Come on, you guys. Know? I loved when he used the coins that that drunk fool was putting <laughs> yeah, into him as ammo. So innovative. No functional fix in this for BB. He's always he's always advancing and evolving beyond his circumstances. I love him. This has been truly delightful just to watch in the media, Twitter, Instagram, whatever news service you choose to to frequent. BB's out there on the press tour. It's everywhere. He's everywhere. And people get excited and they stop she, I think, to like, meet him. There are like 50 clips of Laura <laughs> Dern having yeah. like long, meaningful conversations with BB on the press tour. It's yeah. so good. There was that great clip too of William and Harry yeah. going up to him and like, hey, like they were like really? starstruck. It's BB. He's great. Son. And also, this is a fun little thing. A lot, some, I don't know, a lot. There are, there are so many things that fans are mad about. It's hard to keep track. But some fans, at least, were lamenting after the movie came this out the so absence good. of the iconic line, I have a bad feeling about this. This is great. Some version of that line has appeared in every Star Wars movie to date. But you guys are all wrong. Because, according to Ryan Johnson, in an interview that he did with the Huffington Post, that line is in there and BB is the one who delivers it. so it. good. At the beginning, the incredible action sequence that opens the film, when Poe responds to BB by saying, hey, happy beeps here, buddy. Come on. That's in response to BB beeping some version of I have a bad feeling about this. It's great. What a wise soul he is. Small lament. Yeah. Not learning more about the dark BB on Snoke's ship or the kind of like the older yeah. model BB matte finish dude on the on the Rebel Cruiser. I would have liked to find out what's up with them. I quite agree. More yeah. just droids, period. It was also, we should say, great to see R2. Great Wonderful little moment R2. where R2 broke out the original. Another meta moment. A hologram from A New Hope and Luke was like, that's a cheap trick. Another, another incredible meta moment about breaking from the past. Beautiful. All right, friends. Yes. <laughs> We've seen this raw strength in only one podcast before. It's impossible! <laughs> it didn't scare us enough then, but it does now. That's so right. So that's a wrap for this week. We hope that you had as much fun as we did today, that you are as excited as we are for the holidays and for Binge Mode Harry Potter dun, dun, dun. in spring 2018. Of course, we hope that you will join us Next week, for the fifth installment of Binge Mode Weekly, we will be doing a special year-in-review episode. So if you haven't already, please send us your questions via Alpost to binge underscore mode. Again, that's binge underscore mode. And again, please be sure to check out all of The Last Jedi coverage on The Ringer and The Ringer Podcast Network, including Sean Fennessy's interview with Great interview. filmmaker Ryan Johnson on The Big Picture Podcast and Chris and Andy's all-Last Jedi episode of The Watch. Until you're back with us next week, remember... 
the greatest teacher binge mode is. Hi, I'm calling for General Hux. This is General Hux of the First Order. The Republic is no more. Your fleet is rebel scum and war criminals. Tell your precious princess there will be no terms. There will be no surrender. Hi, I'm uh, waiting for General Hux. Is this is this on? This is Hux. This is I am Hux. I am addressing you from the bridge of my ship. Have some last-minute holiday shopping to do and want to avoid shipping return fees? All ShopRunner members receive free two-day shipping and returns at over 140 top retailers like Saks Off Fifth, Shinola, and Lord & Taylor. Sign up for a free membership today and no one will know you waited until the last minute to shop. Go to www.shoprunner.com slash promo slash podcast to learn more and sign up for a free one-year-long membership today. That's www.shoprunner.com slash promo slash podcast.